0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you like waiting? No. None of us really enjoy waiting. Now there's some, they'll be like, oh yeah, no, I love waiting. No, you're lying. No one likes waiting. We don't like waiting on anything. We live on such an instant society. I mean, you think about it, we have uh, such a society that literally loathes waiting. So we we want instant everything. Some of you will remember when you had to wait for messages and email, and you listen to this. How many of you are like starting to get the shakes, you know? I mean, it brought back some memories, right? You just get on there. And as you're waiting for this and listening to the noise of it, how many, some of you have absolutely no clue. Listen, you have not lived until you waited for email like this. Because you literally are waiting and you're thinking, is this even worth it? Like, did anybody even send me a message? Do I have an email? And then you get on there and you're like, I literally just wasted two minutes of my life. That was just a waste. Man, we live in an instant society where now, uh, I don't know if this drives you nuts, but this drives me nuts. I call it the balloon ball of despair. How I many of you know what I'm talking about when I say the balloon ball of despair? If you ever get on your computer and you have that little circley thing that just circles around and around and around and around, and you're like, what is, what's going on? Am I waiting for a beach volleyball tournament to break out? Like, I don't know. What am I doing? What?" And you just stare at your screen, and the thing just keeps, and you, you have to, like, move your mouse every now and then. And if you have a, an Apple, then a Mac computer, when you move it, the ball gets bigger and the mouse gets bigger and it's just like letting you know you're gonna be here a while. I don't like waiting. We have instant everything now. You think about it, we have instant coffee. When I travel on trips, it's not my favorite, but in a pinch, instant coffee will do. Why? Because I don't wanna have to wait. I'm in a hurry, give me a hot cup, pour some instant coffee in there, shake it up, a little bit of cream and let's go. Instant coffee, Amazon, shipping, Instant. Did you know now there's actually places in major cities where they tell you that you can have your package within an hour because of drones and things like that dropping packages off? Isn't that crazy? And we're like, how can that happen faster? Like an hour, seriously? I, want, I wanted that yesterday. Bring it to me. Microwaves, instant meals. Now if you ever sign up for anything online, This is a big gimmick uh, that you can see across any platform. Get access now. Get instant access now. And you see, like, if you purchase, listen, if you purchase this program that will help you lose weight, you will get instant access to 27 other plans that also don't work to help you lose weight. And we live in a society that just doesn't like waiting. If you're like me, the reason I don't like waiting is because I feel like I'm wasting time. I'm like, man, what else could I be doing right now? I don't wanna wait for dial-up. I don't wanna wait for that email. I don't, I, what else could I be doing? I feel like I'm wasting time. In our series, we've been going through, <clears> the <throat> series is titled Hope in Darkness because the fact is that every single one of us, we all have seasons of life when we feel that we are in a place of darkness feel like you're waiting on God. You feel like maybe you have some prayer requests that haven't been answered. You feel like maybe there's a trial or a situation where you, you may feel like I have at times thinking, God, did you forget about me? God, where are you? God, what's going on? And we find ourselves in a place of waiting. And just like physical waiting of just sitting there thinking I'm wasting time, man, sometimes I don't like those spiritual times of waiting because I'm kind of like, God, we're wasting time. But what we're going to see this morning is some thoughts from the Word of God of what you can do. Brian's excited. Oh, never mind. Chloe's excited. Uh, We're going to look this morning at what you can do and what I can do during our seasons of waiting to help us realize that when God says to you and I, hey, be patient, hey, wait, that when God says that, he's not just wasting time. We're going to see some help this morning from Luke chapter 3. So let's stand, take our Bibles. We're going to read the first two verses of Luke 3, and then we'll jump into our message this morning. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, the Word of God says this. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch or ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, the Tetrarch of Abilene, Annas, and Caiaphas being the high priests. During that time, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. We're going to stop there. We're going to to cover quite a bit of ground this morning, but we're introduced in this passage to a number of people. We'll talk about all those people, but the main character of our passage before us today is this man, John. Now, when you read the Bible, there's a number of similar names, and so we need not be confused with who this John is. We just read there, he's the son of Zacharias. Well, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we heard about Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. Zacharias is of the priesthood of Abiah. He's a priest that would serve in Jerusalem from the hill country right around Bethlehem. Him and his wife Elizabeth had not had children. They prayed for a child. They, she gave birth to John. In the scripture, he's often referred to as John the baptizer or John the baptist. That is not the same John as the apostle John who wrote the book of John. All right, so don't don't get the two uh, uh, um, uh, confused, okay? And today we're going to be introduced to this John the baptist, John the baptizer. We're going to see a ton of great things from him, but here's what we're specifically going to learn. What do we do? When we're in our seasons of waiting, what do we do while we wait? We're gonna learn from John what he did and some things that I think will help us as well. So let's pray, ask God to bless our time together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you take a minute? And just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray and ask God to speak to you? And you can pray something simple of, God, please speak to me today. God, please speak to me today. And then make the commitment, God, if you speak to me today, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, we just wanna come before you today and we thank you for your love and your care. We thank you for this morning and what you're going to help us with and what you're gonna teach us. And Lord, I pray that as we go through the passage today, that you would help us, that you would show us what you want us to learn and Lord, that you would help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You go ahead and be seated. If we come into Luke chapter number three, the author, I love, I love the author Luke. He actually penned two of our New Testament books, the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. And if you ever read about Luke and you read uh, the way Luke writes, uh, Luke was a a physician. Luke was somebody who would know the, uh, what we would call a doctor. Luke would be that medical physician. And so uh, Luke had an education. And the way Luke writes is incredible to me because Luke does something. He does something that even um, uh, Matthew doesn't really do. When you read the four Gospels, Luke does this. He, al- he Most often, he opens the scene by setting context. Now... We say it here at church, and you've heard this. Context, what? Context matters. All right, context matters. Without context, you can make the Bible say anything. Without context, you can make the Bible say anything. Well, Luke knows that without context, you could make history say anything. So context matters. So what does Luke do? Luke chapter 3, verse number 1, he opens up by introducing us to a bunch of people. What is he doing? He is setting the context. He's setting the cultural context, the historical context, the spiritual context, and the political context. We get all four of those from the names that we find in verse 1 and verse number 2. Now, I recognize the map is is small this morning. But this is the area, the region of Israel that we're talking about. We're introduced to some characters Tiberius Caesar. In the Bible or the, the Word of God says right here in the 15th, reign, 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Okay, who is Tiberius Caesar? Well, he's the stepson of Caesar Augustus. Remember when Jesus was born, there was uh, the word that Caesar Augustus was taxing the world. Remember that? Luke chapter number uh, two and verse number one, that the word went out that Caesar Augustus was taxing everybody. Well, this Tiberius Caesar is his son. He began reign, now follow me this morning. We're gonna do a little history lesson, all right? You still with me? We're gonna do a little history lesson. He began his reign in 14 AD. Luke says in his 15th year, of reign. So what would that be? It'd be 28, 29 AD. That's about the time, 15 years in. Okay, so he's ruling. Now here's some things history tells us about Caesar, and and you gotta gotta catch all these or else the message, you'll be kind of like, all right, where are we going with this? Here's some things we know about Tiberius Caesar. He was a very harsh ruler and a very, very um, uh, 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 suspicious. uh, He had a lot of suspicions about everybody. He was one that if I went to him and I said, hey, Tiberius Caesar, listen, I heard that Drew, Drew is disloyal to you. He wouldn't ask Drew any questions. He would just find Drew and he'd kill him. That's what he would do. He didn't ask questions. He didn't care what the rumor came from. He didn't care if it was true. If you lied about even his own family, Tiberius Caesar was a ruthless man. He hated, he hated the fact that anybody could uh, um, potentially take away his authority. He tried to subjugate everybody around him, the Jews included. Okay, well, then we're introduced to another character, Pontius Pilate. Who's Pontius Pilate? Well, you recognize him because in the trial of Jesus, again, we're reading historically, so we can look back and we can see during the trial of Jesus Christ, Pontius Pilate was, was ruling in the area. Well, he was ruling in the, the, the Jerusalem area. He was ru- ruling in that Judea area, Idumea area. That would be where Pontius Pilate ruled. Pontius Pilate was a great military mind for the Romans. But Pontius Pilate, he was a very prideful man And he was a very selfish man. Pontius Pilate did everything that was good for him. Not the people. He hated the Jews. He was very involved in pagan worship. He hated the leadership of the Jews. He didn't want anything to do with them. He honestly, Pontius Pilate is one that if the Jews would have left the area completely, he would have been happy. Okay, then we're introduced to Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod the Tetrarch, he is the son of Herod the Great, you recognize that if you know the Bible from Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was born, Herod the Great killed all the babies, remember? Herod the Tetrarch, he reigns near Galilee. That's up in the north region. You can see it up here. Herod the Tetrarch would reign up in that area. Okay, now what do we know about Herod the Tetrarch? Well, we know that he was a like his father. His name is Herod Antipas or Herod Antipas. He is one that he, too, hated the Jews. He was maniacal, like his dad. But he also had no respect for family. As a matter of fact, he married, stole away his brother's wife. Herodias was her name, Philip's wife. Well, that brings us to the next character, Philip. Where did he reign? He reigned in Ituria. This would be the northeast part of Israel at the time, We don't know a ton about him except that his wife left him for his brother. That's a bummer. I think it was a bummer. I have a brother, but that'd be a bummer. We read about Licinius. Don't know much about him except that he too hated, most likely hated the Jews and he reigned in an area not far from Damascus. So those are the political leaders. Okay, now verse number two tells us about Annas and Caiaphas. Are you still with me? We're still, we're, we're still doing the history lesson. The introduction is the longest part of the message today. We might be here till 12, but we'll be all right. I'm kidding. Uh, who do we read about? We read about Annas and Caiaphas. All right, who's Annas and Caiaphas? Well, they're the high priests. Okay, now, now if you think back to history, and those of you maybe that have been in church, and if you don't, you think about religion, you think, wait, how do you have two high priests? Okay, Annas was the high priest that the Jews recognized as the high priest. But history shows us that Annas did something that really ticked the Romans off. And so the Romans, they said, Annas, you are no longer a high priest that we recognize. We're going to make your son-in-law Caiaphas. We're going to make him high priest. So now you have a high priest that the Romans recognized and a high priest that the Jews recognized. The Romans went to Caiaphas basically to control the Jews. He was kind of uh, what many scholars say. He was the puppet priest. (laughs) He didn't really have much to say. The Jews didn't really care about him. But since the Romans said he was the high priest, then they had to listen to him. So you have Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, now, what does all that mean for us today? Now, here's what I'll tell you. If you're not careful, if you're like me, when you read over names in the Bible, you just kind of pass right by them. Next next week's message, it's all names. Some of you are like, well, chalk it up, next week's vacation week. No, listen, don't just read over names. Names teach us and tell us so much. Here's what we can know. Political leaders that hate the Jews that are selfish, that are proud, in a culture that openly rebels against anything that God has to say, led by religious leaders that are in it for their own personal gain, that are puppets, that aren't standing up and saying, here's a message from God. Let me ask you a question. Would you define that as a dark season? (laughs) I would. Politically, culturally, economically, spiritually. What is Luke doing for us? Luke is setting up the the backdrop, if you will, for the narrative that unfolds before us today. What is he doing? He's saying, hey, it was a bummer of a time. Man, we had political leaders that hated the Jews, that didn't care about Messiah. We had religious leaders that didn't care that Messiah was coming. We had all of this taking place. It was a bummer of a time. And then we're introduced to this character, John. Now, here's what I wanna do. Before I give you today, we're just going to go through four things that John did during his time of waiting that we, too, can learn some lessons from. We're going to learn from his message, we're going to learn from his life. But before we do that, I want to simply to look at the overview of John chapter two, or, or excuse me, Luke chapter three, verse one, down through verse number 22. I want us to see three very quick things about God from this passage. Because if we're not careful, we look at a passage and think, what does this mean about me without first thinking, what does this mean about God? So what are some things we can learn from Luke 3 about God? Number one, they're all right here. Number one, God doesn't forget about you. Hey, during your seasons of waiting, God does not forget about you. How do we know that? Here's what Luke says. We were in a bummer of a time, politically, economically, socially, spiritually, but the word of the Lord came to John. (laughs) You know what that helps me see? During times of dark seasons, God doesn't forget where we are. Number two. God, he pursues, he chases, he follows after you and I in love, even when people resist him. This was a time when people weren't searching really for God. There, there, was, a, there was a few, and there were some that were, and we know that from uh, the, the stories that we've heard the last few weeks from others like Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, and we know all of that. But here's the truth that, well, I'll ask you what I asked my kids yesterday. We were talking about something else, and I said, if, someone, if you tried to give someone a hug and they kept pushing you away, would you keep trying to give them a hug? And Dennis, he's our oldest, he doesn't like hugging anyway, so he was like, well, I wouldn't have given him a hug in the first place. I was like, all right, play the game with me. And they, they all three were like, no, I wouldn't keep giving that person a hug. If they were stiff-arming me, I would not keep giving them a hug. Do you know what God does to people who keep stiff-arming him? God keeps, says, he keeps saying, hey, I'm here hey, come to me. And you and I at times in our life, don't we go, no, God, no, God, no. Don't we do that? And yet God says, hey, I'm gonna keep pursuing you. He pursues in love, even when people reject him or resist him. Number three, here's this, and don't miss it. God works even when we can't see it. Think about this. All these people during this time wondering, where is God? All these people during this time, the religious people may be thinking, well, we have Annas and Caiaphas, what's going on? All these people, perhaps people who do love God, thinking, where is God? And yet here's what we see. God was always, and you see it through all scripture, God is always working behind the scenes. In your seasons of waiting, here's three principles you can always count on. God doesn't forget about you. God will keep pursuing you. And God is always working. So, what can we learn from these passages, though, about, from this passage about us while we wait? Here's what I want to do. <clears throat> we're going to read the story and then we'll gather our four points, our four thoughts, all right? So go with me, Luke chapter three and verse number three. Luke chapter three and verse number three. Let's look at these verses together. And he, now we're speaking of John, he came into all all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We'll talk more about that verse in a minute. As it is written in the book of Isaiah or Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then saith he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers. That's That's John's definition of the generation of religious leaders at that time. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also is the ax, the ax is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree therefore, which bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down or cut down and cast into the fire. And the people, they're hearing this and they, they asked him saying, what do we do then? And he answering says unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart or give to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came the publicans, the tax collectors, to be baptized. And they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed unto you. Quit stealing from people. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him saying, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse or lie falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, as they're they're sitting there, as they're listening to him, they mused in their hearts of John. They're thinking, "What what does all of this mean? And they're tossing around the idea whether he were the Christ or not. John answered and said unto all of them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But, Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved or corrected by John for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, he added yet this above all, that he should shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open, the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, Thou art my beloved son. In thee, I am well pleased. Man, this passage is just packed. Honestly, I I debated on making this three messages, and I thought, man, that would just be a lot of repetition. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pack all of this in to just a few thoughts today to help us understand this. During that dark season of hopelessness, what did John do? He did four things that I find in this passage And so we're gonna learn those four things, but then also there was a lot of confusing statements in there. So we're gonna learn about those confusing statements. Here's what I want us to see first of all today, though. In our times of waiting, what did John do? What can we do? Well, first off today, during our seasons of waiting, remember that you have a voice to speak of God. You have a voice to speak of him. When we read there that Isaiah quoted that there was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. It's actually taken from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number three. It's a prophecy given that before Messiah comes, there will be a forerunner or a front runner or a messenger that will come and that will cry forth, the king is coming, Messiah is coming. This is John's position. This is John being prophesied about. And what did John do? Well, he came and he preached a message. Okay, well, what is the message now, don't get confused, all right? Try to stay with me. If you have questions, write them down. We can answer them after, after service. You can catch me on your, on your way out. A lot of people pull out. Now, listen, remember, we pull out verses to make them say what we want them to say. A lot of people will, will pull verse 3 out. Okay, Verse 3, that John is preaching a message of repentance for the remission of sins. But they read in there that it says he came into all the country of Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And they say, oh, see, right there, you have to get baptized to go to heaven. Okay. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've heard that before. Just a lot of us. A lot of us have heard that. Okay. Is John preaching that? Is John saying, okay, you got to get baptized to go to heaven? Quick answer, no. John's not preaching that. John is preaching repentance. He's preaching turning to God. Okay, pastor, if he's preaching turning to God, then what does baptism have to do with it? Okay, we're gonna come back to that. We're gonna talk about baptism in a minute. So we'll talk about what John is saying in a minute. Right now, I wanna talk about what John is not saying. John is not saying get baptized in order to go to heaven. Well, why do we know that? Because that would disagree with the context of the entirety of Scripture. I'll go through the, um, the wording here in just a minute. But the Bible clearly teaches that a person knows for sure they're going to heaven. The person gives, has a relationship with God based solely upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tons of places in Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know the verses. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of, what's the word? Works. What is that? Things I do. Baptism is something I do. So it's not of works, lest any man should boast. If baptism was the way to heaven, then Jesus got it wrong. How do we know that? Because John 14, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father, but by me and baptism. Is that what it says? No, it just says, but by me. How about the thief on the cross? Luke chapter 23, the thief says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What Jesus say, verily I say unto thee. Today, you better get down, get baptized, and then there's some hope. He's on the cross, folks. He doesn't have time to get down and get baptized or go through some ritual or go through some, some uh, uh, religious act. And yet Jesus still said to him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now I'm just gonna, and again, I don't know everybody in here. I don't know your background. I'm not trying to step on toes or say, well, the church that you grew up in that taught baptism was salvation. I'm not trying to say anything against them. I'm just trying to simply say what the Bible, what I believe it teaches in context. Baptism is not part of salvation. It's not part of it. If it was, then Paul and the apostles would have known and they would have answered questions like this differently. The guard in Acts 16 came to Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? All right, I want salvation. I want forgiveness from God. What do I need to do? And the answer was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Pretty clear. It would be clear if, I mean, he had a great opportunity. If baptism was there, he had a great opportunity to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved if you get baptized. <laughs> so, what is John teaching? Well, remember, we're not answering what he's teaching yet. You have to wait. Right now, here's all, here's all I want to point out. When John came, he was in this season of waiting, but you know what he did while he waited? He spoke of the Messiah. He talked to people, "Hey, he's coming! Hey, the King's coming!" In uh, in history, the front runner, <coughs> the forerunner, this position that John has, um, it would be like this: if a um, if a king or a ruler was coming to a town, they would send a servant ahead of them, so that that servant would declare, "Hey, the King is coming." hey, the ruler's coming. And so they would go, if it were nowadays, they would come to Moses Lake and go to City Hall. And then uh, they would post it on all the social media outlets, you know, Facebook, all the uh, downtown Moses Lake Association, all of them would post, hey, the messenger came, the the ruler is coming. And man, we would have someone going out and maybe getting one of those uh, trucks and putting big billboards on the side and big speakers above it saying, hey, the the king is coming. Hey, the, the ruler is coming. What are they saying? The front runner is saying something important is about to take place because the important one is almost here. This was what John was doing for the Messiah. Now, remember, oh, we, this is, we can't just breeze over this. You and I, we are looking back at this. We have full picture. They didn't. Do you know who knew about Jesus at this point? His family and maybe a few close friends. Like we're thinking, I mean, they didn't know the Messiah? No. The announcement came to some shepherds 29 years earlier. Jesus would be 29, 30 years old at this time. So all the people are thinking, what is John talking about? And John is saying this to them, hey, the Messiah is almost here. What was John doing? John was using his voice to speak of the Lord. And here's the simple thought today. Every believer should use their voice to speak of God. If you know Christ, if you know Jesus is in your life, hey, every single day you have opportunity to speak about him. Hey, the Messiah is coming. Man, he already came to prove his love. He is returning one day. The Bible tells us that he will rapture us away and we'll be in heaven. But the truth is this, the the truth today is this, that if a person dies without knowing Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity separated from God. That's not Pastor Dennis just trying to be harsh. That's what the Bible teaches, that if a person doesn't receive Jesus into their life, the only other alternative for them other than heaven is hell. And the only way to get into heaven is by receiving Jesus into your life. And my friend, the fact is, is this, that you have people in your life and I have people in my life that God has given us a sphere of influence to influence them toward Christ. During your seasons of waiting, you could use your voice to speak of him. May we be like Paul in the book of Romans when he says, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to them that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know what Paul said? Hey, with everything that I have, no matter what is going on in my life, if I'm in jail, if I'm Paul, I mean, you know, if you know the story of Paul, go read from Acts 13 to Acts 28 and read about his life and what did Paul say? I, I can't but speak of God. Hey, in your times of waiting, you and I have a great, a great opportunity to speak for him. Use our voice to speak to him. Secondly, I see that we can use a life to point to him. You know, let me ask you, and you just, you don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it. Do you think John was pretty popular? I don't think he was. Like, do you think people liked John? (laughs) No. Why? Because John showed up and he's telling them, we're gonna see it in just a minute. He's telling them, hey, your religiosity will get you nowhere. Your religion, it will get you nowhere. You have all these things, he says to them, you're claiming Abraham as your father and you're claiming all this stuff. You are leaning on religion, but you are missing the Messiah. Do you think that message is popular? (laughs) No. But what did John do? He didn't care what anybody thought. He didn't care what anybody said. John said, I'm gonna use my life and I'm gonna use it to point to him. As a matter of fact, people misjudged John. They actually thought that John was trying to build his own kingdom. They thought that John, maybe he was a reincarnated prophet and they began to be sarcastic to him. It's actually recorded for us in the gospel of John. Now remember, this is a different John writing about John. It's like Dennis, Dennis, and Dennis. Some of you will catch that later. Uh, so here's John, the apostle writing about John the Baptist. Here's what he says. And they, the Pharisees and messengers and people that were questioning John the Baptist, they said to him, John the Baptist, what then? Art thou Elias? Are you like Elijah? I mean, did you come back from the dead? He says, I'm not. They say, oh, okay. So then are you that prophet? Are you like the Messiah? He answered, no. No. And they say unto him, well, then who do you think you are? And John says, or they say, so that we can give an answer to those that have sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here's what John did. Luke helps us see John's answer really well. Notice what he says. John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptized you with water, but... One mightier than I cometh, the latchet of of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. And I will gather the wheat, and will gather the wheat into his garner. But the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Oh, okay, Pastor. What is John saying? Here's John's answer. I'm not a prophet. And you've got to be kidding me if you think I'm the Messiah. And then he uses an illustration of the shoe latchet. You see that in there? In that, um, in that culture, typically, okay, typically, not every time, but typically, in all gatherings, there would be three types of people. Okay, there would be a teacher or a politician, some sort of a leader, there would be the commoners. That would be the, the, uh, the school, the, the students of the school or the citizens of the area that would be listening. And then that third level would be the slaves. Now, the slaves, they did, they, they did what no one else wanted, wanted to do, like latching shoes and unlatching shoes. Feet were seen as dirty. Remember, you're wearing sandals all the time. I don't like feet anyway. Like, ugh. Like my kids come down and sit next to me and put their feet by me, and I'm like, oh, I don't want your feet near me. Get them away from me. I can't imagine then. Them sitting down, and you know what a servant would have to do? An owner, would, a master or teacher would sit down, and they'd simply have to hold their foot out. The lowest, listen, the lowest servant in whatever that um, atmosphere was, whether it was a home or a church or a synagogue or a school, the lowest servant, you know what their job was? Take the latchets, take un- undo their shoes and wash their feet. Here's what John says about himself. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not a prophet. He says, I'm, I'm so low in this. I'm not even worthy to tie a shoe. Why is this significant? Because John was saying, I have nothing to offer, but I'm gonna use my life to just point to him. He would say it this way, recorded for us in John chapter three, verse number 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Hey, in your times of waiting, do you know what you and I can do? We can point to him. He was using his life to point to God. And I would ask you this morning, looking into your life, if we were to look at all of the avenues of your influence, who is your life pointing to? Is it pointing to you? Are you building a kingdom for you? Are you trying to build up your pride and build up your uh, future? Or do you desire to use your life for him? Because John, he said, hey, I'm waiting. I'm going to speak for him. John said, hey, I'm waiting. I'm going to use my life to point to him. Thirdly, today, John preached a message that says, while you're waiting, Remember to have a love to live for him. Now, we do not have the time to do it, but I wanna encourage you to, you can go and research this. If you want my notes, I'll email them to you. <clears throat> From verse number eight down to verse number 15, John lists out a bunch of things and a conversation, or Luke does, lists out a conversation that John had with people. It starts with verse number eight that says, Look at verse 8, Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Now remember, his message, Luke 3 3, he came and spake, or came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What is John talking about? Okay, in their culture, uh, Jewish culture specifically, we know that that's who John would have been speaking specifically to. Although there are Romans that are addressed in this, the message was written to them. In Jewish culture, if you were to go to uh, to the temple, you would go through a ritualistic baptism. In order to go into the temple it was actually instituted, you can see it, um, Exodus chapter number 29 and other passages, that if you were to go into the temple, you need to be baptized before you go into the temple. Well, why? It's to show everybody that that you are clean. It was just kind of a symbolic picture. It was supposed to be that you are showing everybody that you're a follower of God by showing outward of an inward decision. So I'm following God in my heart and so I'm going to get baptized outwardly so people know it. Someone coined this phrase years ago and we we still use it here. The Bible teaches that baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward decision. All right, I'm preaching right now without my wedding ring on because my ring's too loose and it flies off when I preach, but uh, I, I don't have my wedding ring on. Does that mean I'm not married to Hannah? No, I'm married to Hannah still. My wedding ring, what is... It's just a picture of it. That's what baptism is for the believer. Now, knowing that, here's what John preaches to the people. Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. What does that mean? And then he goes through verse 8 down to verse number number, uh, uh, 14 preaching some things. Here's what he says to them. And you'll remember it as I'm quoting it a little bit. He says, you say that you have Abraham as your father. What was he saying? Hey, you are leaning on your religion and your family heritage, but God can raise up descendants unto Abraham from the stones, (laughs) from the rocks. Like your heritage is nothing. Why? Because they were doing this and we have people today that do this. I'm going to heaven because my family believes in God. Here's what what John's preaching to them. Hey, you need to make it personal. And so then they ask the question. The publicans say, well, what do we do? And John says to them, love people. You abuse people. You misuse people. Love people. The Roman soldiers say, well, what do we do? And John says, love people. Man, quit living for you. Quit skimming off the top. Quit lying about people. Quit complaining about your, about your, uh, your wages. What what does all of this mean? What is he doing? Don't miss it. John is preaching this. If you believed in God, there's gonna be love on the inside that flows out. There's gonna be love on the inside that's identified on the outside. Think about it this way. If I, like, those of you that are parents or Siblings, or you've had parents. What if, what if you only, what if you were only a husband because you said I do? Like that's it. So Hannah's like, "Hey, honey, let's go out for dinner." And I'm like, "Well, pff, because I said I do, I guess we will." She's like, "Well, you know, hey, could we go on vacation?" Since I'm the husband, I guess that's part of my responsibility. My daughter, Lena, she has her permit. She's getting her license soon, going through driver's ed. I'm teaching her how to drive. What if she's like, hey, dad, can you teach me to drive? And I was like, oh. (sighs) Because I'm dad, I guess I will. Hey, listen, motive matters. Why should I go out with my wife? I shouldn't go out with my wife because I said I do. I should go out with my wife because I love her. I wanna spend time with her. Why should I invest in my kids and teach them how to drive and do things? Why should I do that? Not because I simply fulfill the role of dad, but because I love them. Because the fact is this that in life, motive matters and our actions should always flow out of the right motive. If your motive is responsibility, well, this is my responsibility. Hey, responsibility always gets old, it fades away. If your motive is expectations, well, I'm expected to do this. Hey, people often don't expect you to do some things and when, that expectations, when those expectations aren't met, less expectations are required. If it's done for return and what you can get out of something, return doesn't always happen. If it's done for acknowledgement, acknowledgement is often missed. And so let me say it this way today. A love to live for him says God Anything I do for you, I'm gonna do because I love you. Anything. Hey, don't ever just come to church because you think God's gonna be like, woohoo, two thumbs up, I applaud you, I'm gonna bless you extra this week. Don't do that. You might as well just go go fishing, go to the golf course. I, I I mean it, I'm serious. Some of you are like, yeah, pastor's giving me an excuse. No. No, I'm saying let your motive be love. I wanna to come to church, why? Because I love God. Man, I wanna get up tomorrow and read scripture, why? Because I love God. I wanna participate in church and sing to him, why? Because I love him. I want to participate in church and listen. And, and even if pastor, you know, even if the message isn't knocking out of the park, man, I'm still going to open my eyes and ask God to help me hear something from him. Why? Because I love him. Love is the only lasting motive. And here's a principle that I believe is all throughout the word of God that John was trying to help them understand. the fact, that when, repent, when repentance takes place, there is a new love that will impact the entire life. Hey, life changes when Jesus is truly on the throne. Why? Because love changes. Hey, have you let the love of Jesus Christ really impact you? When's the last time you thought about how much he loved you? When's the last time you humbled your heart to recognize we are simply slaves, that we aren't even worthy to loose his shoe? The fact is, the only real and lasting motive in any relationship is love. And so today I want to close with one last thought. That in our seasons of waiting, we can speak for him, we can point to him, we can love him so that we live for him. But lastly today, we need to remember in our seasons of waiting, we have an opportunity to honor him. I really can't get into the whole thing. We're out of time. So I'll say this. Go read Matthew 3, verse 13 to 17, and Matthew records for us this exchange. In Luke 3, okay, follow me. In Luke 3, Luke writes, and he says towards verse 18, 19, and 20, that Herod throws John the Baptist in prison. Do you remember reading that? Herod throws John the Baptist in prison because John was preaching. Herod and Herodias, Herodias, used to be married to Philip. He's like, hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And Herod was a wicked man, and John was preaching against that sin, so he threw him in prison. But what Luke does in verse 21 and 22 is he takes Jesus, and he—it's kind of like an afterthought. Oh, by the way, and the oh by the way is this. Oh, by the way, when I was when John the Baptist was baptizing, Jesus got baptized by him. Now the question comes: Why did Jesus get baptized? Okay, we can't get into all of it, but I'll give you very quick three things, three reasons Jesus got baptized. Number one, Jesus got baptized to fulfill the law. Okay, you go back to Exodus chapter 29, verse number uh, six, I think it is, or maybe verse number eight. And it's talking about the priest being baptized. It's talking about uh, the, the law being fulfilled. You can go to the other places in Scripture, in the, in the book of Matthew, where Jesus came, and he said, I didn't come to get away, uh, do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus getting baptized was part of that fulfillment. Number two, Jesus got baptized to identify with a future thing that would happen, his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul writes about that in the book of Romans. Number three, Jesus got baptized to help John see that he was the Messiah. John actually says that when he saw the dove ascending upon Christ and heard the voice that he was like, I know that's him because God told me, the person I baptized, when this happens, that's the Messiah. Jesus did not get baptized because there was sins that needed to be forgiven. Just like you and I do not get baptized because there's something special about the water. If that water forgave sins, I would never get in that water. You want to know why? Because that means everybody as I baptized, their, their sin is in that water. That's not what it's saying. So Jesus got baptized to identify, to fulfill the law and all of that, but before Jesus got baptized, he and John well... John argued with him. Matthew 3, Jesus shows up and is like, hey, John, baptize me. And John's like, yeah, right. He already knew that Jesus was a teacher. He knew all of this. And he's like, I, what are you talking about? I, I, I need something from you. I am nobody to baptize you. And Jesus says to him, listen, you, you don't understand it now, but I need you to baptize me. And here's what John does. John takes the opportunity to honor the word of God, even though he didn't understand it. There may be times in your life when you don't understand exactly what's going on, but you can still take the opportunity to honor God. You see, God has given us his word. And there's something, you know what? Let's just be honest. There's some things in the Bible sometimes that doesn't make sense. Like love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy. That doesn't make sense. Give and it shall be given unto you. That doesn't make sense. Follow even when you don't know where you're going. That doesn't make sense. You know what you and I have to do? As we continue to seek God, God gives us opportunities to honor him just like John. So take every opportunity to honor the word of God in your life and choose to follow him. And then you and I, like John, we'll be able to look back on those waiting times and say, man, waiting was totally worth it. In your seasons of waiting, what do you do? Hey, you're not just wasting time. In your seasons of waiting, use your voice to speak up for him. Use your life to point to him. Use your love to show others that he's changing you from the inside out. And lastly today, take every opportunity you have to honor him.